Hello, everyone. Welcome to this edition of the BreastCancer.org podcast. My name is Jamie DiPolo. I'm the senior editor at BreastCancer.org, and I'm very excited. We have a very special guest today. His name is Dr. Michael Critchman, and he's the executive director of the Southern California Center for Sexual Health and Survivorship Medicine, which is in Newport Beach, California. He's the former co-director of the Sexual Medicine and Rehabilitation Program at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. He's also a clinical sexologist and has a master's degree in public health and human sexuality in addition to his medical degree. He's also an American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists Certified Sexual Counselor and a member of the University of Southern California faculty, as well as an associate clinical professor of gynecological oncology at the University of California, Irvine, and medical director of ANS Clinic, a high-risk program for breast and ovarian cancer survivors. Dr. Critchman's interested in menopausal health, hormone therapy, sexual pain disorders, loss of libido, and chronic medical illness and its impact on female sexual function, as well as breast cancer sexuality. He's the author of six books, and he's going to be writing a blog, which will be called Sex Matters for BreastCancer.org, which we're very excited to have and feature. So, Dr. Critchman, welcome to the podcast. We're so excited to have you as a guest. Thank you, Jamie. It's a pleasure to be on here with you and chat about some of the important issues that uh, our patients are facing on a day-to-day basis. Well, let's start a little bit, talk about your background. Um, How did you become interested in this topic? Well, you know, originally when I was out of residency training in obstetrics and gynecology, I was in Philadelphia, and I found that the more questions that I asked uh, about sexuality and quality of life considerations, the less uh, I really knew and the more problems that I had discovered with women as they uh, changed in terms of their life cycle and went through chronic illness. After being recruited to Sloan Kettering, my primary focus was on gynecological care for the cancer patient, and again, my side interest about sexuality and how it influences quality of life really became to the forefront, and we really started to focus on these issues specifically with patients and how it really impacts them. So again, I think uh, for me it was the more questions I asked, I had to become more self-trained to learn to help uh, address these issues with patients who were suffering really in silence. And they were coming to me really without any other um, opportunities or really any other healthcare providers that were really able to um, address their concerns. So, you know, I found that as I asked more questions and became better trained and was able to really see patients, uh, the need was there. And, you know, the saying, if they build it, uh, they will come. And through a lot of referrals and discussions, it's really grown uh, really exponentially. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's interesting that that brings a question to my mind. When... I guess probably 20 years ago when breast cancer was being treated, it was, I think the sense was here, this is the treatment and the side effects aren't really that important because the good thing is you're alive. And now today with cancer being considered a chronic disease, many, many more survivors that are living 
10, 20, 30 years after being diagnosed and more, um, the side effects are really coming to the forefront because these people are living the rest of their lives with them and we really need to find a way to deal with them. Right. That's, you know, completely correct. And I think that very much the field of survivorship really was in its infancy. Now it's really an integral part of cancer care. We know that cancer survivors uh, will live a very long, vital life. And what I find exciting is over the past two decades of doing what I do, now I'm actually seeing patients before treatment and they're weighing options and treatment interventions and saying, what is my quality of life going to be thereafter? How is it going to impact me emotionally, physically? How is it going to impact my relationship as well? Mm -hmm. So again, I think these discussions are really coming to the forefront, even at the beginning of treatment and very much patient driven. Uh, we know that survivorship and quality of life is really paramount in terms of overall treatment and aggressiveness of that treatment as well. So I think it's a very important facet and really um, very important in terms of overall care for the cancer patient. Definitely. Now, what are some of the um, biggest sexual issues or side effects that you've seen that occur during and after breast cancer treatment? Well, I think, Jamie, the most important issues for breast cancer patients is how their treatment is going to impact them both emotionally and physically and hormonally. So we do see a very large percentage of women going into premature menopause, which has associated hormonal changes, whether it's lowered estrogen and testosterone. And these certainly have a lot of impact. Many women have moderate to severe hot flashes uh, which are really debilitating. They may have profuse sweating. They may have to stop their activities of daily living. There's also the issues of changes in the vaginal lining, which may lead to dryness and pain. Um, and they really have far-reaching implications. They uh, certainly affect their overall uh, quality of life. They affect their relationships. They affect their intimacy as well. We certainly see lowered libido as a result of this as well. So, you know, there's far-reaching implications from treatment. So what I like to do is really address those issues and recognize that there are problems really on all facets, whether you do surgery, radiation, chemotherapy, or you're on medications for quite some time. These all have implications on the sexual response cycle. But they also have far-reaching implications not only on your physical body, but on your uh, what I would call your sexual self-esteem, how you view yourself as a sexual person. And I'm sure body image plays into that, too. I know a lot of women have commented on our discussion boards that their body image is very poor right after surgery. Yes, and I think that's very important to recognize. We also, you know, I think we need not minimize the changes and the implications of changes in body and really understand how this is really affecting uh, a woman and how she views herself as a woman in today's society. We're getting lots of messages, whether it's from the media or newspapers or magazines about what the ideal woman should look like and uh, you know, it's very challenging. Mm -hmm. So again, uh, we need to re-educate women about 
uh, body image uh, and really understand what the new normal brings forward. And sometimes it's a really a, a re-education process, not only for her, but also for her intimate partner as well. Sure. Now, are there certain treatments that are linked or carry a higher risk of sexual side effects or sexual problems? Well, I think, you know, it really depends on the woman. But if you look at some of the literature, we certainly know that um, the more severe the surgery, the more implications that there may be. So again, if someone's having a partial mastectomy versus a complete total radical mastectomy, their outcome may be very different. We also like to think that everybody's response to reconstructive surgery is positive, but not everybody gets a positive result. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, uh, one of the other concerns is we, we'd like to think that women fare better who have less aggressive surgery in terms of sexual outcome, but this may not necessarily be the aspect that we see. Um, we may see differences in um, breast caressing during the intimate experience with those that have had less aggressive surgery, but at the end of the day, their intimate relationships very much depend on their pre-existing function, their partner support, their sexual self-esteem, and how they view themselves as a sexual being. In addition, Jamie, we also know that chemotherapy really is um, and has a lot of adverse effects on women. You know, even the issues related to nausea and vomiting, as well as far-reaching implications of hair loss, uh, certainly affect a woman and how she uh, views herself as a sexual being and how she uh, carries herself. So, again, uh, we know that uh, many women who, who undergo chemotherapy have premature menopause. And, again, we talked about those issues of hot flashes and dryness and even concerns about memory changes and chemo brain, those can be very frustrating and compounded on, you know, sleep issues as well. So I'd like to also give you the impression that, you know, sexual health and general health are very much intertwined. Mm -hmm. So we have to kind of put the pieces together and put the, all the puzzle pieces together to look at the woman as a complete functional person with not only diet and exercise and sleep and hair and, memory concerns, but also integrate all these aspects in order to really achieve uh, good sexual health and functioning as well. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering too about hormonal therapy. I know you mentioned it in premature menopause, hot flashes, all those issues. Um, Hormonal therapy to me as not a physician or an oncologist seems like it would almost have a higher risk because in most cases, and now with new research coming out saying that women should take hormonal therapy for 10 years, you know, after uh, surgery and other treatments. And so those side effects, I mean, 10 years is a long time, whereas I'm thinking or have read that for some of the things like with chemotherapy, well, those can be ongoing as well. In most cases, they ease slightly. Yes. And I mean, what the way that we define it is the short term effects and long term effects. Okay. And again, there are, you know, and when you're taking a medication for 10 years, it's actually persistent effects because it's not stopping. And some of these are cumulative, meaning that the longer you take it, the more the risk you may develop. So, you know. Uh, certain medications may predispose you to abnormal bleeding. So the longer you take it, the more vigilant we need to be in terms of monitoring. 
okay. per se. And for chemotherapy, we certainly have immediate effects like hair loss and uh, memory uh, changes. Those wax and wane with time. There's certainly interventions that you can do to improve. But we also know that there's far-reaching implications. Uh, we also know that women that in, have taken chemotherapy, we need to monitor them carefully for cardiovascular toxicity. Mm -hmm. We need to monitor them for secondary malignancies, and these may appear very late. So again, there is early and late effects that are certainly implicated. So that's why I really, you know, I'm very fortunate to focus my career and my center on survivorship and these women really transition from their regular gynecologist who really, you know, doesn't really focus on a lot of these issues mm -hmm. and really gets it, the, these women get a detailed gynecological and comprehensive, you know, evaluation and assessment. Many women who have breast cancer haven't checked their vitamin D. They don't know that their bones are at jeopardy. They do not know that their heart may need to be evaluated and assessed. In addition, many women who are on tamoxifen haven't really seen an ophthalmologist. And we know that that is very important because they can develop cataracts at late term. Mm -hmm. So it's really developing, you know, what we have coined the term survivorship care plans. Mm -hmm. But I think it's very important to recognize that that is uh, individualized and remember that uh, women are aging and there's other chronic medical diseases that are superimposed on the cancer. So again, cancer is not unlike diabetes and hypertension. Uh, just as we talk to someone who is overweight or has hypertension, we talk about diet and exercise and decreasing risk factors. So too, do we need to talk to the cancer patient about sunscreen, about secondary cancers, about things uh, in terms of enriching their bone health as well. So again, it's an emerging field of medicine, but again, uh, very specialized. And I think it's very important that women be aware of their needs and their special needs in order to thrive uh, for many, many years, even after the diagnosis of cancer. Definitely. Now, I'm wondering too, if if a woman knows or, or feels she's having some, some sexual function problems or other sexual issues, bringing up that topic with either an oncologist or perhaps your primary care doc, sometimes that can be very uncomfortable for people. It seems way too personal. And I know I've read some comments from women where they say, well, I don't really want to talk about that with my oncologist because he or she is focusing on the cancer and I don't want to take anything away from that. So what's the best way for, for women to bring this up and who should they bring it up with? I mean, how can they make sure that they're getting the treatment that they need? Well, I think you bring up a very good point. I think that there is really a very big disconnect. And the issue is there's really this conspiracy of silence. Clinicians feel that if patients feel that it's important, they would bring it up. And then on the patient side, they say, well, you know, if it was important, then uh, my clinician would bring it up. Mm -hmm. So, again, there's a very big disconnect. And I'm hoping that with my blog uh, called Sex Matters, we're going to have resources that women can print, can download, they can bring to their clinician. Uh, I always say that, uh, you know, sometimes it takes a lot of courage to 
uh, broach the topic. But I think if it's important enough for patients, there are resources available. And there are clinicians around the country, not only uh, like me, who specialize in breast cancer sexuality, but there's also other institutions that certainly can help. And uh, I think that a good clinician is not a um, not afraid of a second opinion. So again, um, you may want to broach it with your medical oncologist. You may want to broach it with your surgical oncologist. And again, maybe your gynecologist or a sexual medicine specialist. And, you know, I'm very fortunate. I, um, I have clients all over around the country and the world. Mm -hmm. So it's very uh, interesting. I do a lot of consultations because people, uh, really can get a hands-on uh, view. Okay. Okay. And so really, you're, if I'm understanding you right, you're saying that a woman should feel comfortable talking to any of her doctors about this, perhaps. Yes. It's, it's, and, again, um, and again, with the caveat to recognize that some people will be un, um, ill-prepared mm-hmm. or will not know how to address those issues, and she should demand a referral. And again, there's a lot of networks available. Uh, cancer centers are now recognizing that sexual health is very important mm-hmm. in the overall experience. And many of them are including uh, sexuality as a topic on their, uh, uh, you know, they're including sexual health as a topic to be covered in survivorship care planning. So they may have identified a specialist in their specific area. And again, there are a smatter of us around the country uh, that uh, do um, a lot of consultations, whether it's by phone or by in person or what have you. Mm -hmm. So again, I think that it shouldn't be discounted, discredited. I think people should be aware of the fact that there is help out there, uh, that they can reclaim their, you know, sexual wellness, which is such an integral part of the human experience that I think is very important, Mm -hmm. that it doesn't necessarily need to be the end. Uh, It's no longer okay just to be alive. Um, It's the quality of life. So I think quality is quite essential at this juncture in cancer treatment. And, you know, I think it's really exciting to be a part of this new wave of uh, cancer survivorship. Definitely. Now, you you talked about how you think that more and more uh, survivorship care plans do include sexual health. Do you think it's in most of them or is it just sort of starting to build now? Well, I think it's in primarily in in most of them, but whether or not institutions have resources available to address those concerns uh, is different. I think we're now growing in terms of our uh, awareness of the importance of survivorship care planning. It's going to be mandated as we move further along in the Affordable Care Act. Every woman will have to have a survivorship care plan where she needs to know what her secondary issues are, what her screening paradigm should be, and what she's at risk for. So I certainly am working towards trying to get sexual health and relationship issues into the forefront. And, you know, that's why I'm doing uh, podcasts like this and doing Sex Matters, which I think will really help awareness for women. And really, you know, I think women have an important role in, in the development of sexual health and intimacy. And I think it's very important not just to be alive. It's a quality of life and demand that importance. 
I think we've been lulled into thinking that it's okay just to be alive, but it's not. I think quality of life and how you live your days is very important. And I see many women making those decisions. And I think the important take-home message, Jamie, is that there are, there are things that we can do that are safe, effective, that are not going to increase your risk for recurrence or uh, new cancer or what have you. So it's not hopeless and helpless. And I think that that's uh, the important message. And that's one of the messages that I plan to uh, bring forward in uh, our blog that we're going to collaborate on in terms of sex matters. And sex does matter. Mm-hmm. And sex matters are very important to the human experience and sexual health and general health are very much intertwined. And there are things that we can do. Little things can make huge differences. Excellent. Well, and I, I wanted to reiterate too, when we're talking about this, I know many people think, oh, well, this is probably just for younger women. But no, we're talking about all women from whatever age. If you're diagnosed at 30, if you're diagnosed at 70, sexual health is still very important. Yes, and I would agree. And I just looked in my office. We have uh, I, the earliest patient, uh, cancer patient that I am presently seeing. It's 18 years. Uh, 18 and years old. 18 years old, oh, wow. and the oldest is in her 90s. Okay. So, uh, you know, sexual health and intimacy and relationships are all intertwined. And I think that if women are uh, concerned and it's important to them, then clinicians need to stand up and listen, and we need to help women help themselves. Exactly. And the other thing I I just sort of wanted to touch on, too, and and you mentioned it, but I do want to reiterate it again, um, that each of these survivorship care plans is very, very individually tailored. So as you just mentioned, obviously, a woman, a girl, even who's 18, who's been diagnosed with breast cancer, is going to be facing some very different issues than a woman who's 90. Um, But that's the importance of talking about this, I think, and talking about it with several doctors so you can make sure that everything that needs to be in that survivorship care plan is included. Correct. And I think that's very important. But there are some common needs. And again, um, I think it's very important to individualize. And the, the standard treatment paradigms for cancer are changing. And no two people experience cancer the same. No two people's home lives are the same. Their partners are not the same. Mm -hmm. So we have to individualize. We have to start listening to patients and incorporate their specific needs into care plans and really tailor it. Okay. And again, it's the same concept that certain women will tolerate certain levels of risk and other women will not. So Mm -hmm. again, I plan to give people a lot of ingredients in my column, and they will have to make their own specific recipe that works for them. And part of it is starting the discussion. We've been living in silence too long about this concern, and I think it's important to improve the conversation. Yes, I absolutely agree. And I, say, I have one more question, too. Um, when you talk to women, um, are the partners or a woman's partner often involved in this, or is it usually just the woman? And again, um, not that I want to be evasive in the answer. I think it's really, it's really independent and it's really, uh, patient driven. 
sometimes the women will come in themselves and they have concerns about their own issues. Sometimes they have concerns about how their cancer has affected the relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, I would say many women bring their partners in and partners are also going through a variety of changes as well. They want to be supportive. They don't know how to act. Uh, their previous behavior may not necessarily be appropriate or what have you. Mm-hmm. So again, a lot of things are changing. So again, uh, there's no hard and fast rule. We really do. Uh, I do think that uh, if you do have a partner, it's very important to uh, have that discussion, whether it's in the doctor's office or with the clinician or with the woman herself. I think it's important. I think we're missing half the boat and half the story if we don't involve the partner as well. Uh, But some women don't feel comfortable about that. And again, I think it's important not to put pressure on people that their partner must come. We don't have hard and fast rules in my center. We encourage partners to be involved. We try to make it a very comfortable environment. And what we've found out is that many partners are willing and interested and they're just, um, they're just at a loss. They They don't 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 know what to do. In other words, they don't, they just don't know what to do. So, you know, it takes two to tango, uh, but you can also dance alone. So again, I think it's very important to incorporate partners when feasible, if available, and will really help the overall situation. Okay, perfect. Um, Now let's talk a little bit, just briefly before we go, uh, about your blog, Sex Matters. It's going to start, I believe, this month or next month in June. And is there any chance you could give us just a little insight into some of the topics you might be covering in the upcoming months? Well, I think we covered many of the topics uh, today, but we'll kind of go over them in depth. We'll talk about premature menopause. We'll talk about dryness. We'll talk about, uh, you know, even things like self-stimulators, how to revitalize your marriage, dilators, a whole variety of different things ranging from sexual medicine topics to sexual psychological issues, how to, you know, bring your sexy back, how to improve uh, your sexual self-esteem, a whole variety of different uh, important issues. But importantly, Jamie, I want to uh, reiterate that I want to hear from women and I want to have them uh, engage in the conversation and be vital in terms of uh, advocacy. I want them to tell me what they would like to know about and hear about, uh, what topics are important for them, what questions they have. So our plan really is to not only be informative and give people information, but also address patients' issues and concerns as well. So, you know, with that, I'm really hoping that people will get engaged and involved and uh, really um, continue uh, the, dis- the continue and tailor the discussion to meet their needs and, um, and their important aspects. Definitely. So it'll be a conversation rather than a lecture. Yes, Perfect. Uh, Dr. Critchman, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been very great. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening to this edition of the BreastCancer.org podcast. And we look forward to reading many, many Sex Matters columns from Dr. Michael Critchman, our guest today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope uh, to come back soon and talk more Sex Matters. That would be fabulous. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks.